Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Stephanie, and this is my co-host, Sandy. Hey, everyone. So for today, I actually have to thank my sister for sending me an article the other day, um, which inspired today's episode story. Um, So this is a topic that has always been frustrating to me on a couple of different levels. It's one of those things we know is wrong. We know it's led to the untimely death of many people throughout the years with little to no consequences, but it also has a history of high-profile incidents of discrimination against underrepresented races and ethnicities, as well as sexual assault. Okay. Do you have any idea? I have no idea. (laughs) I was trying to think of it as you're talking and I have I couldn't think of anything. I know this one's kind of random, but it truly is one of those things that whenever a story would come up, I would Mm -hmm. just be like, how are we still allowing this to happen? Why is nothing being done? Why are people like celebrating this thing when when awful things are still happening because of it? And it's led to deaths and it has led to deaths. Is it environmental? No. Oh, I know this is really random. So what I'm talking about is Greek life. Oh, man, (laughs) like hazing and stuff. Yeah, so fraternities, sororities, and the many deaths that have resulted from fraternity hazing. Mm -hmm. In 2021, so in just about three months, we have already had two deaths, which is too, too many, but an even scarier number considering the fact that we're still in a pandemic and that a lot of schools are still not doing on-campus learning. Mm -hmm. So two and three months seems incredibly high yeah especially for the circumstances that we're under wow yeah this one is a tough one because it's on it it's ongoing it happens every single year it happens every year so statistically i think it's been at least one death per year since like the 1800s oh so it's and they're all just kids they're all kids um you know like i said to me it's just like why are we still allowing this to happen Mm -hmm. The reality is just really sad and it comes back to, I think, what we've discussed many times over and it's financially and the people who benefit from Greek life Mm -hmm. um, just seem to kind of matter more than the people fighting against it. Okay. So let's hear it. The following is what we think happened to 18-year-old Antonio Tomasello in October of 2019. And I have to point out that this is only what we think happened because, of course, the frat has taken an oath of silence and campus police has closed the investigation. What is known about that night, however, leaves a lot of doubt that the investigation was thorough and leaves the family seeking answers. It was parents weekend at Cornell University and Flavia Tomasello waited at the campus bookstore where she and Antonio had plans of meeting, but he never showed up. By 10 p.m., he still had not answered his phone and his friends had not seen him all day. What his mother did not know is that the night before, frat brothers had driven dozens of freshmen to the brick frat house on the Ithaca, New York campus and escorted them through seven rooms, each of which contained its own alcohol-fueled challenge. Shots in one, beers in another. In another room, the recruits had to down a bottle of vodka among them. Among the freshmen urged to drink at the Phi Kappa Psi party that night was Antonio who in only a few weeks at college had played with a club soccer team, begun taking finance classes, and had already found a job as a campus tour guide. Miss Tomasello made her way to the fraternity house, pleading with the frat brothers for clues of what had happened to her son that previous night. Meanwhile, her son was lying in a shallow pool of water at the bottom of a ravine nearby with a fractured skull, Mm. broken ribs, and enough alcohol in his body to indicate he was drunk when he died. 
A little over a year later, and his parents are still trying to understand what happened. Their quest for answers has been hampered by frat brothers who will not talk, a campus police department unprepared to investigate, and a university eager to label Antonio's death as not suspicious. The following is an account of Antonio's last night pieced together by the New York Times and their investigation into his death. They reviewed photographs, emails, text messages, and hundreds of pages of other records, including the campus police department's 158-page investigative file. The documents, along with interviews with more than a dozen people tied to the case, show how members of the frat withheld information about the party, making it difficult for the police to determine what actually happened. Ms. Tomasello flew into Ithaca on Thursday, October 24, 2019, for Cornell's Freshman Family Weekend. After arriving, she and Antonio reunited at a Thai restaurant in downtown. By around 8 p.m., Antonio told his mother that he had to get back to campus to work on a project, but that he would meet her at the campus bookstore in the morning. In actuality, frat brothers had told the invited freshman that they would be picked up at 8.30 on campus. His mother watched him leave for the last time as he hopped into a lift with a box of cereal she had brought for him. Oh. Even though Cornell forbids fraternities from recruiting freshmen like Antonio until their second semester, the rule is broken so often that it's been coined a dirty rush. Once Antonio arrived at the house, he was assigned to a group with other freshmen as they were guided through the Christmas-themed rooms full of alcohol. They were told not to disclose they were at the party and were careful to stipulate that no one was obligated to drink, but several freshmen would later tell police that they were soon pushed to. It's like they cover all the all their bases, like don't tell anyone you're here. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed you, you don't have to drink, but then they like make fun of you or yeah. whatever for or not basically doing you it. can't join if you're not gonna Yeah, like partake. you're not cool enough if you're not drinking. Mm-hmm. At some point during the night, Antonio began looking for Felipe Hanuk, the sophomore fraternity brother who played with him on the club soccer team and the person who invited him to the party. He called Hanuk twice around 10.15 p.m., conversations that only lasted about two minutes combined. When questioned, Hanuk told police Antonio had called from a bathroom at the party asking him to come to the party, but he had been at the library until midnight, well after the party had ended. So he says he didn't go, mm-hmm. that he wasn't there. An officer wrote in the file, however, that he believed Hanuk was lying about his whereabouts. In fact, several fraternity members told police that Hanuk had been stationed outside the house as a sober monitor, one of several people who were supposed to keep an eye on party growers. After his first interview, Hanuk retained a lawyer and never spoke to police again. Which is weird because it's like, why didn't they pull cell phone records to mm-hmm. see where he was like where they pinged like yeah you know like just to verify that what they're saying is true mm-hmm. shortly after his calls to hanuk antonio called pierce lucanitis who lived in his freshman suite and was one of his closest friends on campus pierce recalled antonio sounding drunk but nothing more a few minutes later at 10 29 antonio left his mother a voicemail the voicemail contained nothing more than a few echoes and background noises and it was most likely just a pocket dial but it would be the last documented moment of his life because it's very likely that his iPhone died around then, making it impossible for police to track. Aww. The following morning, Antonio never showed up and his mother's text messages went unanswered and word spread that he was missing. Frat members grew anxious about getting in trouble for their party, so much so that Andrew Schur, the frat president, called Lucanitis, Antonio's friend and sweet mate, and asked him not to tell anyone that Antonio had been at the party. So already they're like trying to cover tracks. Mm-hmm. Ithaca's fire chief found Antonio's body by flying a drone over the gorge in which he was found. Ryan Lombardi, Cornell vice president, sent students an email only a few hours later assuring the campus that no foul play had been suspected. 
Already? Already, just within a couple hours. So this phrase, no foul play, is used in a range of cases, including when a student dies by suicide or when a body is pulled from one of the many rocky ravines that gives the city its slogan, Ithaca is gorgeous. Antonio's parents, however, argue that it was premature to assume Antonio's death was a tragic accident or suicide. They fear that the Cornell police operated under the assumption which led to errors in their investigation. For example, after discovering dirt marks that look like a shoe print on Antonio's shirt, police did not try to match them to anyone, even though they did know for sure that it wasn't the shoes Antonio had been wearing. So, they're not his shoes. Whose are they? I can't. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around campus police conducting an investigation right like are they qualified to do that i want to say that campus police like they're still they're police they Mm -hmm. just happen to operate on campus okay but i do think that there is a difference between it feels like like it because it's kind of like i would assume a city police officer would look at a campus police officer like a city police officer looks like a meter maid. Like, sure, they're, you know what I mean? Like, they're cops. Yeah. But, like. There's a difference. There's a difference. That's how I, okay. I, I don't know anything about this, but that's how I envision this. Yeah. I don't know anything about their background or if they've gone through the exact same training as regular city police officers do. I have n- no idea. But we've been around them a lot. We've seen them a lot when we went to college. And I feel like I always saw a difference like it was noticeably Mm -hmm. different between them and like someone that would pull me over and it's definitely I mean it's telling because and we'll talk about this a little later but there are cases where campus police does get the city police involved Mm -hmm. because the case is just too big or they need the expertise I mean like it's just but it comes to show like why in this case where something like this happened yeah knowing the history of hazing and how many people have died at the hands of hazing why not involve police just to make sure right a woman who lived in a house near the overlook told the New York Times that the police never contacted her which the family lawyer feels raises questions about how thoroughly they actually canvassed the neighborhood there were other irregularities As the search for Antonio proceeded the day after the party, campus police told the frat president to have members comb through their house looking for anything that could assist with finding Antonio. Police allowed fraternity members to conduct their own investigation, (laughs) giving them time to erase, get rid of, and clean anything that could assist in the investigation until after they conducted their own search the following day. What in the world? So basically... Do your own investigation. Let me know if anything comes up. We'll come by tomorrow and then we'll conduct our own. Yeah. So it's like that gives, again, you know, it's hard to say what actually happened because the investigation is so messy. Mm -hmm. So it's like the frat may not have had anything to do with it. Maybe he was just walking home and fell down the ravine. Maybe. Mm -hmm. But we'll never have that certainty because of the way that the search and the investigation was conducted. Yeah. So now it just leaves so many questions unanswered mm-hmm. and it leaves space for speculation. Yeah. It also doesn't look good that they just stopped talking, right? Yeah. Like that they didn't want to help. Additionally, when a campus police officer reviewed drone footage of the gorge and saw what he thought might be a phone, police never went to actually look for it. Their excuse at the time was that the area was too icy to reach But that doesn't explain why they never went back once the ice had thawed. So they think they saw his phone Mm -hmm. down in the ravine, never went to get it because it was too icy. But later on, when they could go back to get it, they just never did. So we don't know 
if there had been any fingerprints, like if they would mm-hmm. be able to get anything from his cell yeah. phone. You know, like there's just, again, bad police work. Mr. Bianchi, the lawyer of Antonio's parents, says it's inexcusable for a major university in charge of a death investigation that they wouldn't even do the most basic of things. He had actually pushed for Ithaca Police Department to take over the investigation, given that his body had been found on city property and that city police have historically investigated unusual or suspicious deaths, even if they happen on Cornell's campus. But in this case, all they did was play an ancillary role. Mr. Molina, the university vice president, had defended what he said was an exhaustive investigation, noting that police officers had interviewed about 150 people. He suggested that the campus police may have led the investigation simply because they had opened the initial inquiry when Antonio had gone missing. He also went on to say that the mark on Antonio's shirt was not clearly a shoe print and that police had repeatedly asked people living near the gorge to come forward if they had any information. In regard to Antonio's phone, Mr. Molina said it was never clear if the object seen in the drone footage was in fact a cell phone and that once the gorge was safer, it was no longer considered necessary because some records had been obtained through search warrants. While Mr. Molina agreed that the investigation had been complicated due to the lies and the silence of the frat brothers, he also placed blame on Mr. Bianchi, the Tomasella's lawyer, saying that the lawsuit filed against Cornell and several of the frat brothers had actually led to more frat brothers going silent Mm. he also stated that it's most likely that antonio walked to the overlook and no evidence suggests anyone was there with him and also like the nerve to put blame on the family for wanting to push to get answers and the only way that they could do that was by filing a civil Mm -hmm. lawsuit against the school and against the fraternity brothers that they felt had been involved yeah or who might have known something no one again like I don't think they're saying that they did have something to do with it. They just want answers. And Mm -hmm. the only way they can do that was by filing this suit. And then for him to turn around and be like, well, maybe if you hadn't filed the lawsuit against us, more people would be inclined to talk. That's like you weren't getting the answers through your own investigation. So we have to do something. Yeah. And I think the problem here is that Cornell has a long history of hazing, which began with the first documented fraternity hazing death in the United States in 1873. When Mortimer M. Leggett, a blindfolded freshman, died after falling into a gorge with two fraternity brothers who were supposed to be guiding him. So this is in 1873 mm-hmm. from the same school. Oh, and the it's same school. The first documented death. Great. Due to hazing. Okay. New York passed what is believed to be the first state anti-hazing law about 20 years later after Henrietta Jackson, a cook, was fatally poisoned at Cornell. They think it was done by a sophomore who had been hoping to disturb freshmen with chlorine gas. In 2011, George DeStoons, a sophomore from Brooklyn, died at Cornell during a ritual in which he was bound, blindfolded, and urged to drink. Mm. The Ithaca police arrested three students and charged them under the state's hazing laws, but all three had been acquitted. In Antonio's case, Mr. Van Houten, the DA, said there was not enough evidence to bring charges against the fraternity brothers under the state's misdemeanor hazing law, which would require him to prove that they had intentionally or recklessly done something while initiating Antonio that put him at risk. And although experts agree that it would have been hard for the DA to win a conviction, there's still one way that he might be able to make students talk, but it would carry its own risks. In New York, people summoned before a grand jury may be compelled to testify but only if they are given broad immunity. 
Under broad immunity, a witness can never be tried for any crime related to any transaction, matter, or thing about which he has testified, even if his guilt can be established without using his testimony, or even if his testimony was completely false. While grand jury proceedings are largely secret and the testimony may never become public, to Antonio's parents, anything is better than giving up. Mm-hmm. As part of the settlement in their lawsuit against Cornell, the university created a scholarship in their son's name. Antonio's parents have also been pursuing a mission of trying to prevent college hazing, all while holding out hope that someone will tell them about Antonio's last moments. They have a standing offer of $10,000 for leads, and with the police investigation closed, they fear the campus will quickly forget about Antonio and the continued warning his death brings. A warning we have already seen has fallen on deaf ears with two deaths in the first three months of 2021. Did, did it come up in your research anywhere how many total hazing deaths there's been since the 1800s? Yeah, I think it's like 330-something. Okay. It's sad. And there's a lot of, like, hazing laws and, like, mm-hmm. things that have been passed. I don't know if you remember, but the reason why one stood out to me, one of these, like, deaths stood out from a couple years ago, and it was the one where, like, they were – they forced – I think his last name is Piazza – um, they were forcing him to drink and he drank like way more than like any body can handle. Mm-hmm. And they like, th- I think he f- fell down the stairs or they threw him down the stairs jokingly. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up at the bottom of the stairs and then they didn't really know what to do with them. So I think they left him there and then they brought him back up on the couch. Yes. But he was already like. I remember that. And I think what happened was when he fell, the position that he was in was like cutting off um his breathing yeah and so he ended up like making it to the hospital but he like died the next day Mm -hmm. but that one to me was so just like dude you guys have no freaking heart like he fell down the stairs like at that point i think everyone should have been like oh my god Mm -hmm. something terrible has happened we need to call the cops but instead they just like waited overnight put him on a couch put him sideways and it's like oh he's blue the next day what's going on it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know that was really scary On February 27th and March 7th, two more names were added to the abject list, those of Adam Oaks and Stone Foltz. Oaks was 19, a freshman at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. The evening before, he had been matched with a big brother at Delta Chi, and his family alleges that his death was due to hazing. He passed out after drinking, and when friends found him face down on the couch, half his face was purple. His father told reporters that he is left with a hole in his heart that will never be sealed. The cause of death at this point hasn't been officially determined. Foltz, a 20-year-old sophomore at Bowling Green State University in Ohio and a new member of Pi Kappa Alpha, died in what his family's attorney alleged was an off-campus hazing incident involving alcohol. His parents donated his organs so that others may have a second chance at life. While VCU prohibits hazing, so does Delta Chi, the fraternity Oaks pledged to, after his death, both school and the fraternity offered their condolences. Their deaths have renewed calls for Greek life reform, but the question remains, can fraternities exist without hazing? And if not, will the deaths ever stop? Mm-hmm. And if Greek life is so troublesome as a hotspot for sexual assault, hazing, and civil lawsuits, why have most universities not taken a hardline stance against its existence? And the short answer is money. Fraternities owe their staying power to influential national Greek organizations that lobby for lenient policies and to frat members who are devoted to what has become a staple of the American college experience. 
Not to mention that Greek life also has deep roots in powerful institutions. For example, at least four members of former President Trump's cabinet were fraternity alumni, and Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch was member of Phi Gamma Delta, and in Congress, 155 lawmakers are Greek alumni. Additionally, a majority of Fortune 500 executives were former members of fraternities. In fact, many college students are willing to forego fraternities' toxic reputations for a ready-made network of friends in a setting where many students may know few people. Noah Dresner, a Columbia Associate Professor of Higher Education who researches alumni giving, says, Many of these fraternities and sororities have been on campus for decades, and that's led them to accumulate a strong alumni network that can be tapped as donors. He also states that Greek alumni are disproportionately represented on trustee boards and in administrative positions. It's not in a college's financial interest to anger or alienate their donors, he added. Fraternities and sororities traditionally offer housing for students, a bonus for universities, and wealthy alumni often pitch in funds for the construction of chapter houses and the land that they reside on. Frats own about $3 billion worth of real estate across 800 U.S. campuses. I wasn't a part of a sorority, so I don't know anything about that. Hell them. no. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we have anything against the people that were. I did go to some of the parties. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd come home drunk and tell Stephanie all about it, but I would never, I didn't want to no, join but it myself, even then, but I'm surprised at I think how it works. You went to like the Hispanic. Yes. The, you know, it's not the. Not these type of no. frats and sorties. It was. Yeah. Not. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. This funding is a key in small college towns where housing is limited and most members live together. If, for example, a university sought to disband a fraternity, it would then have to purchase the house or the parcel of land to turn it into student housing. Wow. Which does, it's not convenient for them. The thing is, students in Greek life are richer to begin with, but they also may be more loyal monetarily. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. A member graduates, some return as generous donors, eager to become beneficiaries for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And with money comes power at both the student and the institutional level. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you remember when we were in college, um, I don't think there were any hazing deaths in San Diego in any of the colleges when we were going to school. But one of the fraternities at San Diego State had that drug ring. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And so that just reminds me, like, and I think that was one of the wealthier fraternities at San Diego State University. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't at our college, but it was at a nearby college to us. And so we knew a lot of people that went to that college and they had this whole drug ring. I think I don't know if they were growing it, but they were definitely dealing a lot of drugs to the campus, Mm -hmm. to San Diego State and the police. And I want to say like the FBI got involved, like it was a huge thing and it was a really huge bust. And like almost the entire fraternity was like involved in this and they got away with it for a really Mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong and also take this out if I am. But remember when we had all of those like um, noose the nooses appearing yes, on campus weren't campus. those weren't those were they not fraternity related they also had didn't frater- okay so they also had the fraternity like, started it started right yes the party the party mm-hmm. remember the party mm-hmm. was it like a south party or a mexican party or something like that so what happened was and i can't remember the name of the fraternity yeah um but they were doing 
a party called the Compton Cookout. That's what it was. Yeah. And basically, they wanted everyone to come acting like they were from Compton, which is... Which implies a lot of derogatory Black. things. Right. And, yeah. So they in there was like an invitation. Yep. That went around. All that went around. UCSD and SDSU. And it basically said like, we're going to have a lot of watermelon. Mm-hmm. We're going to have fried chicken. I want to say they encouraged blackface, but I can't remember if it was mentioned specifically. But then they said like, come dressed. Yeah. Like a black person type of thing. Um, And then there's like pictures of on it of like people sagging their pants. And yeah. like, it was just this huge thing. Very racist. Um, Very racist. It was extremely racist. And it caused a huge uproar mm-hmm. at UCSD. Rightfully so. Right. And this was in the middle of, we had already lived together by then, right? Yeah. There was protests at that campus every single day, the entire day, for a really long time. For different things, too. They were increasing our tuition. Yeah, that's right. So that like that was a big one that people were protesting mm-hmm. was in- the increased tuition for public universities. There was the, the, the Compton, Compton cookout. cookout thing. There was the nooses. So nooses started appearing around campus on different things. Yeah. After we started protesting, all of a sudden it became this huge like... Um, battle between yeah. a lot of people for some reason and you're right the noose i think the first noose was hung at the library oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the protests wasn't just about like hey fraternities you can't be doing this but they weren't gonna re- in the beginning they weren't gonna receive any accountability right for it and that was the issue what well i mean the issues obviously they shouldn't have done it in the first place but the, the point is is that the school wasn't going to do anything mm-hmm. about it eventually they did it took a lot of protesting it took a lot of people getting out of class and even some of the teachers um, yeah walking out walked out of class we took over the chancellor's office we did take over the chancellor's office steph and i you were with me yeah. right we sat, sat in there. the chancellor's <laughs> office like all day and we <laughs> oh my god so dramatic we were and we so had dramatic. to do it we had to we just had to so we were in the chancellor's office and i remember um i think it was the Black Student Union uh, also came to mm-hmm. help out because they were battling two things. Yeah. Like you said, they were battling the increases of, of the prices <laughs> and then they were having the issues with this fraternity and then the nooses. So like they had this like double, like the it weight was, big, was on yeah. their shoulders a hundred percent and they showed up and mm-hmm. every, I think a lot of people showed up for them as well. Yeah. But I remember when we were in the chancellor's office, um, one of the leaders of the black student union was going around and telling everyone their rights. Right. Yeah. Of what happens mm-hmm. if the police show up, you know what you should do. And it was so informative and they mm-hmm. were really like, Uh, you know, we want to get this right. They were really organized. Yes. Oh my gosh. They are so amazing. A lot of, and some of them I've kept in touch with to this (laughs) day and they're doing amazing things in the community. Like they were leaders at, in college, they're leaders now. I felt like we were just like this regular old college. Like we're not a private, we're not Cornell. Like we're not, Right. but no, this, this, it was a lot of issues. And the thing is that these parties happen everywhere. Yes. They're not, they're Definitely not. It, it, they didn't start in San Diego. They've mm-hmm. made their way to San Diego. These mm-hmm. parties started, and I'll talk about it a little bit in a, in a little bit, but these parties started in the South and, and have made their way mm-hmm. around this around all the that. different campuses. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, like being in San Diego, you have your like Cinco de Mayo or like Mexican type parties with people yeah. coming with sombreros and big mustaches and coronas or whatever it is like but those are just as offensive because we're not 
these we're not just these stereotypes and we're going through that so much right now with Mm -hmm. hate and hate and so many things so this is something that just kind of continues to happen so that's really sad but i think it's kind of like perpetuated by these fraternities and sororities who hold so much like power within the social circles within these universities so Mm -hmm. it's sad to see that rather than like empower people or do good and the thing is like they do a lot of like philanthropic work and stuff. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think they have to, right? But when it comes to like the partying, it's like all of that goes out the window and it's just reduced to a lot of ignorance and a lot of like stupid stereotypes that they continue to kind of like play off of. So Mm -hmm. it's it's sad that you have these like two crazy worlds that they exist in. One where they want to do really well and they're very well connected and they're networking and you know, you see, like I said, like a lot of these people end up on, on the Fortune 500 list, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. end up in like government positions. But then they also have like this really dark past and dark history. So I would love to see that change. That hasn't gone away. Like it, it's part it of their history, go, but it's yeah. still here. Because there's no accountability. Yeah. Because they bring too much money to the school. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me bring it back to what we were talking about before, which is the money. The University of Alabama is an extreme case of how Greek organizations can harness their influence. For over a century, an informal underground society called The Machine has allegedly influenced how members who comprise over 34% of the undergraduate population vote in campus and local city elections. These students are, according to AI.com, a powerful block of voters from fraternities and sororities who have reportedly used intimidation and voter coercion tactics. Beyond these statistics, frats and sororities have a documented history of exclusion, especially towards non-white members. Students of color say racial bias still persists in the rush process, and almost every year a fraternity is in the news for engaging in blatantly racist behavior. These predominantly white fraternities and sororities exacerbate intolerance on college campuses. One fraternity in Baylor University in Texas held a Cinco de Mayo party where some attendees dressed as offensive Mexican stereotypes and in brownface. The fraternity's national headquarters said in a statement that the allegations are inconsistent with its values and suspended the chapter while a university investigation took place. A fraternity and sorority at the University of Illinois drew anger after a picture circulated of some students at a spring break-themed party dressed in sombreros and Native American headdresses. The groups later apologized and issued a statement that they would never intentionally plan to harm any individuals or ethnic groups. And in one of the most explicit examples of racist behavior, in 2015, a video of fraternity brothers from the University of Oklahoma gleefully singing a violently racist song was leaked. The national organization condemned the video, saying this is absolutely not who we are. They closed the chapter and suspended all the members. Oh, good. So I'm not really going to get into it right now, but if you're interested, um, just Google that 2015. 15 video of the University of Oklahoma fraternity because that's one of like the craziest things I've seen and the article I found goes into why it's not just like ignorant or boys being boys or whatever it is Mm -hmm. it's that Oklahoma and a lot of these universities in the south have very deep rooted dark past Mm -hmm. and that what they're singing in the video is not just them being dumb it's actually stuff that has historically happened there 
that song that they were singing is very likely a song they were singing when slavery was still in existence, mm-hmm. when people were still being lynched. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a really crazy video. It's really sad, but definitely something worth looking into if you're interested in kind of like what these fraternities are up to. And yes, there have been apologies, suspensions, and internal investigations, but those only address individual issues, not systemic ones. The exclusionary practices that keep so many Greek organizations filled with mostly white, mostly upper-middle-class students perpetuate gendered and racialized power dynamics that open doors for the most privileged while marginalizing everyone else. And although banning fraternities and sororities won't instantly remove racism or rape from college campuses, it will send a message about what universities find acceptable and what kind of organizations they're willing to lend institutional support to. And the Greek system isn't just antiquated, it's also dangerous. And I'll only touch on this lightly because we could do a whole episode on this. But studies have shown that men who join frats are three times more likely to commit sexual assault and that women in sororities are nearly twice as likely as other female college students to be the victim of sexual assault. Mm. Researchers point to a culture of male peer support of violence against women as part of the issue. It's not just that misogyny is tolerated, it's celebrated. Men bond over their diminishment of women while schools shrug their shoulders and assume boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. So again, it is really scary to think that women in sororities are twice Mm -hmm. as likely because that number is already really high Mm -hmm. just for Mm -hmm. girls in college. So the fact that you're twice as likely to be a victim of sexual assault just by being in a sorority, Mm -hmm. it's scary. And it's also like it makes me think because... Obviously, you and I, we talked about this. We were never in sororities. Mm -hmm. But the like fraternities and sororities act as like brother, sister, like, right? They all have like their like little houses that they like party with or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're in the sorority thinking you've got like this male counterpart that's there to protect you and there to like be there for you. When in reality, they're the ones that will most likely be the committing the sexual assault against you. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy so that reminds me of one of the fraternity parties that i had gone to when i was in college and i had overheard a group of the guys um because they hadn't i mean it was open to everybody it wasn't just like exclusive you have to be in a sorority or have to be in fraternity um it was open to everybody was this the garage one? Yes, it was. I was there with you with Gedensa, the Halloween party. It was a Halloween party, and I don't remember if Gedensa was there. I'm pretty sure uh, the three of us were there. Okay, so if you were with me, I'm wondering if you heard this conversation with me, because I feel like if I was at a party with you, we would have stuck together. But I had overheard a group of the guys talking about how... Um, the goal for the end of the night was to hook up with a sorority girl. It had to be a sorority girl. It couldn't be like a random. So like someone that wasn't a part yeah. of a sorority. So they were like, okay, that's that's the goal. Uh, let's see who can do it first. Can do it first or like, let's see how many of us can do it. But like that was the goal at the end of the night. That was their challenge was to hook up with a sorority girl. And if you remember, there was a lot of drunk girls Girls Mm -hmm. there and i can imagine a lot of them were not in the position to be able to give consent Mm -hmm. and so when i heard that i was like that's really ugly yeah you know i don't think we stayed that long no we didn't and i feel like that was a part of the reason why i ended up telling our group like maybe we should go let's go back to ucsd because this was at sdsu it when it was right after i heard that conversation i was like this is really ugly this isn't what i want to Mm -hmm. like be a part of and so that comes to mind as soon as you say that Another thing that comes to mind is um, my friend Bridget went to Northridge. Northridge. 
And so I would go over a lot to visit her because she was out there by herself and we would go to some of the parties, some of the college parties. Um, And so we had gone to one of the fraternity parties and I didn't know anybody, right? I'm not from the school. I'm not from the city. She barely even knows anybody. Mm -hmm. She probably, I think she knew like one girl that had invited her to go. So we went because we need friends. And there's these two guys or it seemed like the guys were trying their best to separate us. Mm-mm. and and at first it wasn't apparent like yeah. right away but after a while like after they it kept happening they kept trying to spit us yep. apart and there's like a lot of rooms in that house I was like this doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. at all and I can only imagine like what would have happened if both of us like got drunk yeah and they're trying to separate us this whole time and I don't know what's going on with her and mm-hmm. she doesn't know what's going on with me like that's scary very that scary. is so scary and yeah. I'm so thankful that we at least were in the right mindset yeah. to be like this isn't for us we mm-hmm. gotta go like this doesn't feel right and I, I feel like that was just two times that I had gone to a yeah. fraternity like I can't imagine that that's what I was doing every on single a regular weekend. basis yep yeah and they're tr- they're pushing you to get drunk mm-hmm. like it's not just like oh have one drink like they want everyone to be smashed yeah I'm so thankful like nothing ever happened to like us or um, that I know of anyone that was close to us. I mean, you never know. Right. A lot of people don't say anything because they don't feel like they're going to be taken serious or they feel like it's their fault. So definitely college campus parties is a huge contributor to Mm -hmm. rape culture. Yeah, 100%. So truthfully, even after all of this that we've talked about, I'm still left with this feeling of like helplessness. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems like such a daunting task to take on Greek system, knowing how financially beneficial it is to the university systems in which it thrives. However, months of protest against police brutality and racism have pushed the concept of abolition, and more Americans have begun to question the excesses of municipal police budgets and specifically policing tactics and according to abolitionist reform is impossible because reforms have failed time and time again Mm -hmm. the same abolitionist argument is currently being lobbed at the historically white greek system which was established in the early 19th century as a sort of secret society for u.s college educated men nationwide students are rallying around the slogan abolish greek life establishing instagram accounts that display anonymous student testimonies and informational slides on the many human and financial costs of the system That internal push is one some experts have not witnessed before from members who have historically been hostile to criticism. But the mobilization necessary to excise Greek life entirely from the American college education system is much more complex and difficult to achieve compared to these grassroots efforts. While members could withdraw from their campus's chapter or vote to dissolve it, the national organization can still deploy resources to recruit new members and rebuild the chapters in later years. For student activists, however, the ongoing movement is not defined by the odds against them, but the gradual progress made so far campus by campus. I think this movement is on the right side of history, said Roy, the anonymous student behind the National Abolish Greek Life Movement and Instagram account. We've seen this formally done at Swarthmore, Colby, and Williams, so there's no reason to believe that fraternity and sorority life can't disappear eventually. You can follow the movement on Instagram at abolish underscore greek life and you can join the fight against hazing by visiting hazingprevention.org a nonprofit who is working to educate advocate and engage the community in hazing prevention so i don't know i mean i i feel like we have a lot of thoughts about this in all truth and and I really do feel like there, it, like this sense of helplessness mm-hmm. but it's no different to the sense of helplessness i feel when it comes to 
police brutality Mm -hmm. or Black Lives Matter or all of the other things that like 2020 has kind of like thrown at us. Mm -hmm. I feel helpless in a lot of ways in those senses too, but I don't think that it means we stop pushing for things to change and that we don't continue to try to shed light on these issues because, you know, we have big families Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of friends with big families and, you know, chances are they have family members or we have family members who are in college today or who will be going to college. Mm -hmm. And so all we can really do is like educate them Mm -hmm. and prepare them for what might be to come. And that doesn't mean that like every one of them is going to go and join Greek life. But Mm -hmm. you and I weren't in a sorority, Mm -mm. but we had friends who maybe were in it Mm -hmm. or had friends of friends who were in it and were invited to parties and did have the chance to go. So just because you're not in it doesn't mean you can't be exposed to some of the dangers that come with going to those parties. Look at me. (laughs) Right. So what do you think? It's so hard. Like, because I know a lot of good does come from it. And, and like you said earlier, like, oh, but we just have a few casualties. Like that's, that's their mindset behind it. And so it's it's really hard to keep the good and get rid of the bad. But just like you said, with the death penalty, it's like the bad isn't worth the good. So if you have to get rid of all of it, you have to get rid of all of it. It's kind of infuriating because I think, I don't think, it's the truth. The fact that Greek life brings so much money to the table makes it, that's really the only reason why we're not mm-hmm. just getting rid of this altogether. Mm-hmm. Because if any other campus club was having as many deaths or as many issues as sororities and fraternities have had Mm -hmm. in the past, we wouldn't still be fighting like against it or wanting to fight for quote unquote reform Mm -hmm. or abolishment altogether. But the fact that they're bringing this money, that's where things get so messy. And it's like suddenly a couple deaths here and there, one death a year doesn't seem like so bad when they're bringing in. Yeah all of this money and they've got all all of these potential donors to tap into in in future years. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just sad because I think you don't have to be a sorority or a fraternity to do the philanthropic work that they do to do the networking that they do. It's just, it's kind of like, well, that's just the way it's been for all of these years. So that's what it's going to have to continue to be. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's the answer because that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be the answer for anything else. Um, I can only imagine if the Black Student Union or Mecha, which stands for, for those of you who aren't familiar with Mecha, because maybe Mecha isn't big in your school or yeah. in the place that you live in, but for us <laughs> being a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood and mm-hmm. town and city, Mecha is the Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Atlan. So it's it's basically just like a Chicano or Chicanex mm-hmm. um, student student union student mm-hmm. group. Yeah. So if that group or the Black Student Union had deaths in their group because of activities that they were doing, it would be shut down in a second. It's the same they thing with police brutality, right? No like if any other occupancy mm-hmm. or whatever, if a doctor was killing people on a regular basis, they would lose their license, their license yeah. to, to work. You know, like it's it's very like crazy how much the, the parallels mm-hmm. we see. Which is why I think everything that happened in 2020 really kind of like accelerated this movement to abolish Greek life because I think they saw in what was happening in Greek life what is going on in the world today. So, I, you know, I'm here for it, <laughs> obviously. I just don't think it's right that the fact that they're bringing in money means it's okay for 
all like the horrible things that come along with Mm -hmm. Greek life to continue happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how you can get rid of that. I don't see how you can reform that because there's such a long history and deep rooted history when it comes to Greek life, sororities and fraternities. Yeah. Because even with the hazing laws, it's still continuing. It still happens. And most hazing laws, and I didn't get into it because I would be here all day, but if you're interested in it, there are a lot of hazing laws that have resulted from the many deaths that have come from hazing. And But the, the thing is, and I guess the problem is, most of them only um, result in misdemeanor charges. Mm. None of them result in felony charges. And so... What's a slap on the wrist? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of dumbfounded that the campus police um, investigated this from the beginning of the story. So as you were talking, I looked up what the difference is between a campus police and like a regular city police. Mm -hmm. And the difference is, is that, and it's different by state, it's different by college. um, But basically they, it's usually a mix of people that were regular police officers Mm -hmm. before and they decided to be campus police or whatever. But a lot of them aren't. So a lot of them, so you don't have to be sworn in. And again, this is state by state, college by college. Um, But a lot of colleges don't have police officers that have been sworn in. And a Mm. lot of them um, aren't not eligible, but they don't qualify to be armed. Oh, okay, Yeah. Yeah. So and then I looked up Cornell specifically and they have a mix of both. So they have a mix of regular police officers that were trained in the regular police academy and they're um, able to be armed and, and all that stuff. And then they just get a little bit extra training to be specific on college community and how mm-hmm. to handle them. But the rest of them are just civilians that are kind of like security guards and they're trained in how to police college communities, but they haven't been sworn in as a police officer. And you can hardly say that they've been trained to, you know, work with a, a college mm-hmm. campus. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's even more kind of shocking that they decided rather than turning the investigation over to the Ithaca police, they decided to keep it yeah. and do this kind of crappy investigation where they're not really looking into everything and just leaving all of these questions unanswered. And you, it's like I said, we'll never know. Maybe they didn't have anything to do with his murder mm-hmm. or with his death. And maybe he really did just fall into this ravine and mm-hmm. have a tragic death. But we're never going to know because the investigation was so bad. Yeah. So I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it's a little different to our regular like murder or death, but I do think it's interesting. I do mm-hmm. think it's important important to talk about because it really is, again, a very clear example of white privilege, yeah. what money, you know, does and mm-hmm. allows to happen. So I hope you guys enjoyed Follow that Instagram account. They're posting all the time. Yeah, I just followed it right now as Steph was talking about yeah. it. And I saw that they did post about this story that it was their the one year anniversary or something. Yeah, I saw that after I did after I wrote everything. I went in to follow them and I saw that they had posted about them and they posted about um the two the two deaths that just mm-hmm. happened this year. So yeah. this this is kind of random, but it's a fun topic. It's definitely give gives us a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of people could probably relate. Like I said, whether or not you've been in a sorority or a fraternity, I think we've all had friends or family members who have been in it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're exposed to it in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Unjustly Podcast. Uh, We'll be posting some pictures of all Mm -hmm. the things that we talk about. So if you're not following us yet, give us a follow so that you can see all the pictures of the episodes. And don't forget to 
subscribe, rate, and review. Those help us out a lot. If you like what we're doing and want to help us spread more awareness about the cases that we're talking about, the topics, the issues, Mm -hmm. like today, I mean... Who would have (laughs) thought? Yeah. Um, So definitely help us out in that way so that we can spread the word. And stay tuned next week for a mini-sode. Thank you. Bye. That have resulted from fraternity... And that was it. (laughs) Thank you. That's all I had to say. (laughs) Okay. I've lost my thought. I didn't know where I was anymore. (laughs) Whoopsies. So the following is what we think happened to 18-year-old Antonio Somacello. Nope, it's Tomasello. I have to say we think because, of course, the fraternity... God, this is going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Fra... Can I just say Just say frat. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't know if that's how you pronounce that. (laughs) I'm just going with it. Folds. A 20-year-old freshman. Nope. I'm literally working at the looking at the word sophomore and I'm like, freshman. How does the brain do that? <laughs> like I see it and it's like I wanna say sophomore, but my mouth won't tell won't let me. 